Normally, you would hear from me at this time, but today you're going to listen to someone who's much smarter uh, than me, and uh, I want to introduce to you Chandler Eam, and before Chandler comes up, I want to tell you a little bit about him. Chandler, um, he is born in South Korea, came to the United States. He's been now in the United States for over 30 years. He's graduated from Boston University, uh, BA in Religious Studies. He went to Westminster Seminary in California, and uh, where he got an MDiv, and he was at Fuller, that seminary where he got a THM and a PhD. Now, he served as a pastor of a multi-ethnic ministry, an English ministry, and pastors of missions in Southern California, Seattle, and Vancouver. Uh, he served with the Japanese American Mission Agency as a South American missions director and also has served and worked with and for the First Nations people in British Columbia, Canada. Now, since 2008, he's actually served as the director for ethnic ministries at the Billy Graham Center for Evangelism at Wheaton while also serving as director of the Ethnic America Network. He's a U.S. advisory member, committee member, and a U.S. delegate to Lausanne 3. For those who don't know, it's like the biggest gathering of evangelicals from the entire world that happens every so often uh, this past time in Cape Town of 2010. Um, he's an adjunct professor at Faith Evangelical Seminary in, in Washington, and he actually has a new book that's just come out. Um, and it's uh, Global Diasporas in Mission, and it's, um, it's, it's one that I would enjoy. I'm not sure if everyone would be up that up to Di- Global Diasporas in Mission. I said, I told him, I said, thanks for the book. He gave me a book. He said, uh, he's the editor of it, so he wrote the first chapter and the last. He goes, read the first chapter and the last, and you got it. Um, so it's good that he could poke a little fun at himself. Uh, that's necessary if you're here, because that happens a lot, because if you don't, they will. They will do that to you. We want to give him a warm Village Bible Church welcome and uh, just give him a warm applause and welcome him to share the Word of God with us today. Chandler. Thank you, uh, Pastor Travis. I'm an immigrant, as Pastor Travis said. Came to the U.S. when I was 15. Um... And I think the greatest accomplishment that God has allowed me to do is that uh, I have been to all 50 states in the U.S. You see? (laughs) Yeah, no one gets impressed by boring books, Travis. (laughs) And I have given my assurance to uh, Pastor uh, Travis and the leadership team here, I'm a Presbyterian pastor, that I would not talk about the theological difference between infant baptism and infant dedication. <laughs> and uh, so uh, today's sermon is on, on suffering. So it's going to be uh, 45 minutes uh, on suffering for some, and for the rest of you, it's going to be a 45 minutes of suffering. <laughs> so, uh, so bear with me. And I try to say uh, one thing funny, and of course that is relevant to uh, the topic. So it goes like this. So try to laugh even though it might not be funny to you. A female chicken and a male pig, they're going to church. Some are laughing. It's not a punchline yet. So a female chicken 
and a male pig, they are going to church. And, you know, female chicken is all in good mood and happy. But somehow, this male pig is trembling and looks scared. So the female chicken goes, hey, dude, what's up? There's nothing big about going to church. We go to church, you know, sing some songs and, you know, listen to a uh, you know, boring message for 45 minutes. Okay, my case, all right? Not, not Travis. Uh, and then, you know, you, you make an offering and then you come home. What's the big deal about that? And the male pig goes, that's right. You make an offering, I make a sacrifice. See, no one got it. Nah. The female chicken can lay eggs, bring one egg, and put it in the offering basket. Get it? Yes. A male pig cannot do anything except except give a piece of himself in the literal physical sense i.e., bacon. (laughs) And as you uh, listen to today's message, keep that picture in your mind. And I hope and pray that this week you'll think about that image. Do I live my Christian life like the female chicken? Does comes on? You know, make an offering, just a few dollars in the offering box or online or whatever, and then think, thinking that I have paid my dues. Or do I live my Christian life like the male pig? I know it sounds awful. Uh, giving myself as a living sacrifice to God. Okay, so from this point on, It's just downhill. Nothing funny. No jokes. It's just all suffering. In human life and history, suffering is plentiful and unavoidable. Numerous words are associated with describing human sufferings, such as pain, affliction, Misfortune, misery, grief, anger, fear, sadness, disappointment, despair, loneliness, bitterness, betrayal, abuse, sickness, dying, and death. And the list can go on and on and on. Some words... To describe the opposite of suffering would be salvation, liberation, freedom, deliverance, relief, comfort, wholeness, and shalom. A biblical departure for understanding human sufferings is affirming the presuppositions that God exists. And that God has control over everything, whether good or bad or evil. 
So for today's message, I first explain causes of suffering, and second, purposes of suffering, and third, sources of comfort, hope, and salvation in the midst of suffering. And finally, God's method of salvation will be explained. First, section A, causes of suffering. So what are causes of suffering? Why do we suffer? What makes us suffer? And I list uh, eight categories that cause suffering in our lives. First, original sin. The Bible teaches that suffering came into human life because of original sin committed in the Garden of Eden by Adam and Eve. So when Adam and Eve rebelled against God's law by eating the forbidden fruit, sin entered into the human race. In other words, all sufferings human beings undergo are the result of the corporate sin in Adam. And we too are not free from the result of original sin. B, self-committed sins. Certain sufferings that we experience are the result, direct result of self-caused sins that we have committed against God's law. So simply, you suffer because you have done something wrong in the past. And God is punishing you for that. For your past sinful behavior or wrong choices made. So in today's passage, it's verse 15. You deserve to suffer if you are a murderer, a thief, and an evildoer. This is called the law of retribution. And I must emphasize that this law of retribution is still valid even today. In the Old Testament period, many Jews believed that sickness, especially something that is really serious, was definitely something caused by God as a divine punishment. That's why Job's friends, when tragedies befell that family, came to him asking, what did you do that caused all these tragedies, all these sufferings? See, self-chosen path of suffering. So some sufferings are self-chosen. This category is different from the category B. And the above suffering is the negative consequence of something that you did in the past. But in this category, self-chosen path of suffering, the Christians intentionally chooses this path as Christ commands. And one theologian calls it an honorable suffering for the sake of God's kingdom and his people. And this is the main topic for today's uh, message. Suffering for the sake of Christ and for others. In today's passage, in verse 13, be glad for the chance to suffer as Christ suffered. 
It will prepare you for even greater happiness when he, when he makes his glorious return. So the cost of following Christ is self-denial. Self-denial means being aware of Christ and not of oneself. And the Christian life is a life of crucifixion. Dietrich Bonhoeffer reminds us that when Christ calls a man, he tells him to come and die. And I'll expand on this topic later, uh, later uh, under uh, section uh, C, God's method of salvation. No suffering, uh, no glory. Okay, next. Suffering caused by other humans. I told you it's not going to be fun, right? So I want you to look at the person next to you, to your right and to your left. These are the people who are causing your headaches. Yeah. So, some of the things that fall under this category would be, you know, some personal issues, problems between and among people, people groups, man-made disasters, accidents, uh, other social ills would be social injustice, political unrest, economic disparity, cultural oppressions, religious persecution, racial tensions, wars and conflicts, etc., etc. Okay, caused by non-human beings, like sufferings are caused by plants, you know, poison ivy, or, you know, by animals, like animal attacks, stampedes, or insect bites, like malaria, dengue, etc. Caused by nature, okay, I'm going fast. Earthquakes, floodings, tsunamis, wildfire, droughts, volcanic eruptions. Next one, God caused sufferings. This category is known as the suffering of the innocent. So the sufferer did not do anything wrong to deserve such a pain or such a trouble as a divine punishment. So Job is such a case. So the story of Job clearly demonstrates that the suffering is not always and necessarily caused by a specific sin of a person. And that's a very important lesson to remember. A similar case is recorded in John chapter 9. So the disciples ask Jesus whether the person who was born blind, was it his sin or his parents' sin that caused him blindness? And remember what Jesus' response was? He says that no one is to blame and that his blindness is for the glory of God. So God does ordain certain sufferings to teach us life lessons to reveal the wisdom and glory of God. Okay, finally, Satan and demon-induced sufferings. Finally, the presence and our working of Satan and demons in the world also induces 
suffering in the believers' lives. And Satan and his minions are roaming around trying to devour you know, Christians all over the world. And Satan is a liar and a deceiver. And who constantly strives to lead Christians astray and cause us to stumble. And please remember that not all evil, not all evil and sin is from Satan and demons. But some is. Okay? Section B. Uh, we move on to our purposes of suffering. So what can we learn from suffering? What is God telling us through our difficult and trying times? And one relevant question to this topic is, why do bad things happen to good people? What can we salvage from suffering? And God allows or causes suffering in human life to accomplish various purposes and goals. And I have identified eight. And I'm sure there are many, many more. More purposes of suffering intended by God. Okay, A. Suffering builds up and refines one's character. Suffering builds up and refines one's character. Suffering widens and deepens one's soul. God does not send despair to kill human beings, but to strengthen us, to rejuvenate us, to make us rely on God and God alone. And suffering motivates us to assess and reevaluate our life choices, life priorities, our commitments, our relationships, our value systems, and our worldviews, so that we will become more like who God intends us to be and what God wants us to do. The Bible tells us, Romans chapter 5, verse 4, suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. The culture that we live in equates good life with health and wealth and pleasures. That's how this world defines us, by what we have, our things and our titles. But God equates good life with being conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So God ordained sufferings and events in life serve the divine purpose of making children of God, like you and me, more like Jesus, building Christ-like character. So this is called pruning process. Those of you who know a little bit about you know, gardening, in order to bear more abundant, marketable you know, fruit, you've got to do a lot of pruning. It's painful. 
but God knows what He's doing with your life. Suffering draws humans closer to God's purposes and plans in His, in his uh, redemptive history. One example. God tested Abraham by commanding him to go and sacrifice Isaac as a burned offering, right? Genesis uh, chapter 22. In the midst of this excruciating trial, Abraham obeyed, trusting that the Lord will provide a lamb for the sacrifice, for the burned offering somehow. As you know, Abraham passed the test, and God promised to bless him and his descendants. And through the seed of Abraham, all nations will be blessed. The promise has been fulfilled. Joseph's life in Genesis is another classic example. Okay? And I'm not going to elaborate on it uh, because of the time uh, limitation. See, God teaches valuable life lessons through suffering. One example the wandering of the people of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. And this wandering of the Israelites was a time of humbling and testing. And one of the life lessons that they had to learn in the desert was this. That people of God do not live by bread alone. Deuteronomy 8.3 and King David understood this teaching method of God's very well when he said, It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. This kind of suffering is called educational suffering. D. Through suffering, humans are acknowledging their limitations, respect God's sovereignty, and appreciate His providence. Through brokenness, God replaces our self-sufficiency with a dependence on the sufficiency of God. Our self-wisdom with a wisdom that is rooted in the way and the word of God. And our self-will with a surrender to the will and timing of God. Christian joy is not the absence of of pain and suffering. Christian joy is not the absence of pain and suffering. Christian joy springs from God's nearness to us, that He's with us in the midst of our trouble, and Christ's victory over sin and death, and the Holy Spirit's guidance and protection of our lives. That's why Christians are commanded to rejoice even in times of trouble. E, suffering purifies and sanctifies believers. Through suffering, God removes impurities in our lives, like sins, character flaws, unholy habits. God trains and develops spiritual muscles through affliction. Prophets and faithful men and women in history were bruised by suffering but carried on by their faith. Brokenness 
usually make Christians kneel down before God. Suffering forces us to trust Him and Him alone. So in that regard, brokenness might not be such a bad thing after all. It might be God's blessing in disguise, an experience that will do us some good eventually. Once past suffering consoles others in pain. This is a very important uh, lesson to remember. Once past suffering consoles others in pain. 2 Corinthians 1.4 God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. God partners with wounded healers in his ministries of compassion and mercy. I came to the U.S. Uh, you know, my family immigrated uh, when I was 15. And I went to a high school in uh, Virginia in the early 80s. And the high school that I was in was predominantly uh, white, but 97%. So every class that I was in, in my high school years, I was the only non-white, broken English-speaking guy. So going through this adolescent period as a teenager in a foreign land, trying to pick up the new language that is completely foreign, And adjusting to this, you know, American culture, American value system. And then uh, my father passed away uh, when I was 17. Not even two years after my family immigrated to the U.S. So that experience just shattered my worldview. He went to work one morning, and he didn't come home. He died the same day. So you wonder, you know, what life is about when a person whom you have had seen all your life, all of a sudden, you know, like disappears, you know, dies, um, And that really shakes your being like a mental earthquake. Um, but in looking back, because of my brokenness as a teenager, as a young immigrant boy, shy, that really made me a tough person, not by choice, but somehow my circumstances. Uh, to survive, I guess. And that experience of brokenness has really blessed and impacted my ministry for the last 20 years. 
a couple of times that I was able to console you know, people whom I was ministering to. They were both 17. They lost uh, their you know, fathers uh, to cancer, both of them. And I said, I lost my dad when I was 17 too. And I did not have to explain anything else. I did not have to say, you know, I'm sorry, you know, your father's, you know, spirit, you know, is, is in heaven and then, you know, you'll see him someday and all that. I did not have to explain all those theological Stuff. Just by saying, I lost my dad when I was 17 too, there was an instant identification. You see, incarnation is identification. Being incarnational means that you identify with whomever you are ministering to for. And if I did not go through that pain, Probably I will not have chose, chosen this path of being a pastor. So because of my brokenness, my confusion, my despair, when I was young man, young immigrant, now I could minister better to those who are in pain and in agony and in loneliness. And my brokenness and my despair of the past, by God's grace and mercy and providence, have turned into spiritual nutrients like fertilizer. Not only for my soul, but for others whom... I have ministered to in my ministry. Next, suffering strengthens the community of faith. Our experience of suffering can, by the grace of God, be converted into something positive, something that makes us better and more caring individuals and communities. Suffering propels and intensifies missionary endeavors. In God's kingdom building and God's mission expansion efforts, Christ's workers' suffering is expected and often followed. Paul understood well when, when the Lord said, I will show him how many things he has to suffer for my name's sake. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul boasts of all these sufferings he experienced for the sake of Christ and his persecuted church. Imprisonment, death threats, flogging, shipwrecks, fatigue, sleeplessness, hunger, and thirst. Nevertheless, Paul clearly knew that it was tremendous honor to suffer for the name of the Lord. That's why we Christians who are freed from the sting of death need to be more attentive to sufferings of the world beyond us 
Not focusing so much on my own suffering. Here. But suffering of those that are invisible, that are voiceless, that are vulnerable in our community. You know, I've been coming to uh, a Village Bible for the, uh, maybe four or five times in the past two months. And what hooked me was the garden plots right there. And Travis, you know, got me too. My things are dying, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> you know, I planted uh, some lettuces. They are almost gone, dead. And, and some sesame, you know, like, you know, sesame oil. And, um, you know, like, you know, no manure, no sesame, right? No pain, no gain. No suffering, no glory. Okay, next section. Those of you who are suffering, have some hope. We are about halfway done. Many Christians and non-Christians ask this question. If God is almighty, if God is all able, if God is all powerful, why does he allow so much suffering in the world? Why is there so much evil that's out there? Why doesn't he just simply and immediately just root out, take out everything that is bad, that is evil, And with that question in mind, we move on to the sources of hope and comfort in the midst of suffering. One, uh, God's providence and goodness, wisdom, and love. As a source of consolation in the midst of brokenness, we are to believe that all aspects of our reality are under God's caring control and plan, devised by His wisdom and executed with His love without any mistakes. Absolutely nothing happens by chance or luck. Usually in a Presbyterian church, I'll get an amen when I say that, but it's okay. It's okay. Oh, by the way... Uh, you know why I ask for this uh, uh, podium? Because uh, sometimes, you know, people throw things at you. So you need a cover, you know, protection. <clears throat> so what uh, humans call an accident or chance meeting is a divine appointment. And God does not allow meaningless sufferings in our lives. That's one thing that God has taught me and assured me, that God does not allow meaningless sufferings in the believer's lives. Amen. Philip Yancey asks a similar question. 
which is uh, the title of his book, Where is God? Where is God when it hurts? His response is, God has been there from the beginning, designing a pain system that even in the midst of a fallen world still bears the stamp of his genius and equips us for life on this planet. He transforms pain using to teach and strengthen us. We cannot talk about God's providence, goodness, and wisdom without mentioning Romans 8.28, that everything, all the bad things, tough things, things that you want to forget, deep and dark secrets that you haven't told anyone possibly, all those things work for good, ultimately, for those who believe in him. This is not only a theological statement, it is a promise given by God. And the Bible also highlights God's sacrificial love for us in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So, Jesus is God's answer and solution to human suffering. Jesus is God's answer and solution to pain and misery. One theologian refers to Jesus as the tears of God. Jesus is the tears of God in response to humanity's cries out of suffering. Jesus came into this world like a lover seeking intimate relationships with us. As the leader says, you know, right before the communion, Isaiah 53, you know, verses 5 and 6. He, Jesus, was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with bitterest grief. Our sorrows weighed him down. He was wounded and crushed for our sins, not for his own sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped and we were healed. The Lord laid on him all the guilt and sins of us all. God's Son, Jesus Christ, was broken because of humanity's brokenness. In order to deliver us from our brokenness, as a result of Christ's suffering, the roots of human sufferings were eliminated. Through the death of Christ, the powerful dominion of human death and The powerful dominion of human death was conquered. God the Father gave humans a divine hug through the brokenness of his son Jesus. The cross at Calvary is the divine hug par excellence. God embraced sinners at Calvary. The Holy Spirit's guidance, presence, guidance, and empowerment. Before crucifixion, Jesus tells his disciples that he must leave them behind. 
But he also promised that he will come back, not leaving them alone as helpless orphans. And he will reappear to them in the form of the Holy Spirit. The Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit as both the giver and gift. And the Holy Spirit gives gifts to Christians to empower their individual lives for the purpose of edifying the body of Christ and expanding His kingdom causes. The church, the body of the faith community. As a faith community, the church, the body of Christ, offers encouragement, advice, and prayers for the suffering. As Christians, all the members of the church are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why when one suffers, all suffer together. If you have any brothers and sisters whom you do not like, you dislike, maybe in this body, I don't know, never forget that Jesus died for that person also. And we are to carry each other's burdens to fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6.2. Okay, next. Evil forces defeated and wounded. So as a direct result of Christ's binding of Satan and his demonic forces after the crucifixion and resurrection, the cosmic powers of evil, the last enemy, were defeated. So only at God's mercy, as in Job chapter 1, Satan is still allowed to roam around the earth. He is wounded, he is defeated, and he will certainly be bound up for eternity in hell. So that's why even though the world looks like it's getting worse and worse in many ways, do not despair because God will, God will never lose this spiritual warfare against the forces of evil. So God is holding a tight leash, even though it doesn't look like it, on Satan and his minions. And also, Satan is a creature. Meaning that He's bound by time and space. So right now, we are in Aurora, Illinois. So Satan cannot be in Aurora, Illinois, and Aurora, Colorado at the same time. He's bound by time and space. So chances are, of course, it's a figure of speech, okay? So chances are, you and I will never encounter Satan face to face. Because he's so busy attacking spiritual giants, like, you know, Pastor Billy Graham or, I don't know, Pastor Rick Warren or whatever. Uh, So big names out there. So... 
Don't worry about bumping into Satan. But watch out for those little guys that are active. Minions. Demons. Okay, uh, Jesus Christ's second coming to the world and victory over evil. We Christians uh, live in this reality called already but not yet. So Jesus has already begun the redemptive work on the cross after the resurrection, but he has now returned to claim the final victory over Satan, over death, and over sin, but he will. So we don't know when Jesus is coming back, but he's coming back for sure. It's like springtime in Chicago. We don't know when it's going to come, but we know that it's going to come. It's not a matter of if, but when. And a bad example, okay? Forget it. <laughs> okay, finally, hope for the suffering free, eternal shalom in heaven. The Bible tells us that what we are experiencing, how serious and how real it might be, is only temporary. So on the believer's horizon, there should not be dark clouds of despair that lead us to death. All the things that we are experiencing, struggles, disappointments, disillusionments, sadness, loneliness, confusion, they will eventually pass. You know, as the cliche goes, that too will pass. And we'll have a suffering-free reality in the presence of God, in eternal shalom. When someone dies, we Christians say, the person has gone home with a capital H. This ain't our home. We are living here as temporary workers, like backpackers. So we live here on this earth for 60, 70, 80, 90, okay, for some of you, 110. Um, and then we go home, real home, where there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. There will be none of this in heaven. Okay, finally, section three. Hang in there, suffering people. Seven more minutes. So this is God's method of salvation. No suffering, no glory. That's how God saves. I know this conclusion is rather paradoxical in nature. But the self-giving suffering and death of Christ, which is viewed as a a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Greeks. That is indeed the wisdom and power of God. That's the gospel. 
And God's answer to this problem of suffering is the Lamb of God, the one who would solve the problem of suffering by suffering, and the one who would, who would solve the problem of death by dying. That's God's paradox. And likewise, sharing in Christ's suffering prepares the believers to partake of His divine glory at the resurrection. So that's why we have been commanded to follow that path of suffering in order to fulfill the God-given destiny in God's redemptive plan as our individuals and as a congregation. So you need to ask yourself constantly, what does God want from my life? It's not, what do I want from my life? What does God expect from Village Bible Church? Not, what can I get from the Village Bible Church? Sounds a little bit like J.F. Kennedy, but you are with me, right? So what can you do to participate in the suffering of Christ, you need to get out of your comfort zones. And you need to intentionally step into the unknown. I really, really like what uh, Pastor Travis says every week. Awkward. See? (laughs) You guys are great. I don't know how many are practicing it, but at least it sounds great. Because... It is in order for you to reach out to those people who are suffering, who are vulnerable, who are voiceless. There are numerous in this area. Reach out to those non-Christian neighbors and friends. Talk to them. And share what Jesus has done in your life, even at the risk of losing your face. Take short-term mission trips. I know you, uh, you have done that. You know, donate your money and invest your time generously to worthy causes. Take care of orphans, widows, and the needy in your community. Living this new, new life is really hard because it requires self-denial. It requires that we pick up our personal crosses and follow Jesus every day, as in Matthew 16, 24. Eugene Peterson writes, God is working out his salvation in our lives the way he has always worked out. At the place of brokenness, at the cross of Jesus, and at the very place where we take up our cross. Once again, following Christ requires self-denial and selflessness. And that is extremely hard. But without following the footsteps of Jesus Christ with, with our personal crosses. 
we cannot be called the true disciples of Jesus Christ. Our purpose in life must be the purpose of the death of Christ. Our mission in life must be the mission of God to the world lost and broken. Just as Jesus went through Good Friday before Easter morning. Just as Jesus went through crucifixion before resurrection, Christ's followers must endure the suffering and death in our lifetime. We are not here to fulfill the American dream. In that context, Christians can comprehend the true meaning of the difficult saying when Jesus declares, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew 10, 39. So Paul understands this biblical truth when he proclaims, for Christ's sake I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong in Christ. From that perspective, you view today's passage, 1 Peter 4.14. Count it a blessing when you suffer for being a Christian. This shows that God's glorious spirit is with you. Simply put, if you are not going to remember anything, probably you remember you know, the female chicken and the male pig, but remember this, no suffering, no glory. As in John 12, 24, I tell you the truth, unless a corner of a weed falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And this self-sacrificing life Living your life for Christ and for others is the most fruitful life. And Jesus substantiated that truth with his life, with his suffering, and with his death. And it is my sincere hope and prayer that all of us will live such a self-giving life for the sake of Christ and for the sake of others. That's the kind of life that Christ lived, and that's the kind of life that Christ is commanding us to live. We have only one life to live. We have only one life to give for Christ and for others. And may our good Lord continue to bless our life journeys in Christ, our life journeys with Christ, and our life journeys for Christ. Let's pray. Lord, life is hard. Everyone is suffering more or less because we live in a a dark, sin-infested world. For those of us in our midst who are really struggling and in despair, would you extend your hand and massage their hearts, Lord? In the meantime, help us to remember, as the Apostle Paul confessed, it's a tremendous honor to suffer for you, Lord. We thank you for Jesus, for his life, his humiliation, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.